Ion 2020, episode 24. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey guys, thanks for joining me on the Ion 2020 podcast. This is Ray Eaton, your host, and we are on episode 24. I appreciate you joining me today. Things are uh, looking looking like they're getting going within this uh, Democratic race. We got Cory Booker that recently decided to uh, jump in on this thing as well. We all kind of knew that he was going to be jumping in on it, though. That was uh, that was not a surprise. He was one of the people that was almost certainly going to jump in. If you looked at that guy a couple months ago whenever they were grilling the uh, Kavanaugh during the Kavanaugh hearings to get into the uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, I mean, Cory Booker was showboating just like the rest of them, and now he's decided to jump on in this thing. So, hey, I appreciate you guys joining me, though. This is uh, Eye on 2020, your spot to get all of the news, all of the hype, all of the goings on for the election 2020 those that are going to be shooting to take donald trump out of the presidency uh people are lining up against him now and and i'm excited to bring you all of that news if you got a second go ahead actually go ahead and do it right now since you do have a second you're listening to my show go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever podcatcher you are listening through go ahead and uh, submit me a five-star review if you can and I'd love to see you guys uh, go ahead and you know put some information in there. Give me a little critique if you need to. I'd love to know what I'm doing good. I'd love to know what I'm doing bad as well. And if hopefully I can bring you a better show every single day as we get closer to November of 2020. Today, as I mentioned, I think we're going to go ahead and uh, jump right into talking about Cory Booker and his presidency. And then at the end of the show... I also have a pretty, uh, I don't know, a comedy relief, I guess, for you, and in the sense of a candidate who recently decided that they were going to end their candidacy for 2020, a Democrat who was running for the last 17 months, I believe, and we'll talk about her as well. So if you have not heard yet, though, Cory Booker running for president hopefully you heard it here first but obviously it's been all over the news as well for the last couple of days he's a new jersey democrat who rose to prominence as new york's as uh sorry newark new jersey's uh mayor and they just announced friday that he is running for the presidency and uh cnn has a little news article about him by rebecca buck cnn and that was on february 1st Friday, February 1st, uh, 2019. And she says, Booker chose the first day of Black History Month to launch his campaign, timing that nods to Booker's own heritage and suggests that he will put it at the center of his pitch to voters. Which, I, I don't know if that'll be the center of his pitch to voters, his African-American heritage, but 
He is an African-American gentleman. He's very uh, charismatic. They did say that in the, in the article as well. And when you listen to him talk, you know, he, he, he puts his points across very well in a concise way, in a way that people listen. That's, and that's the charisma of the guy as well. Um, being African-American, he sort of reminds you of a Barack Obama in the sense of the way that he speaks to people, that when he talks, people listen. And I, I, I like listening to him talk. Like when you, when you hear him talk, you just want to... You just want to hear what he's got to say. And he's got that politician thing going on. Politician, you know, the the standard politician is somebody that people like to listen to, I guess. And I'm always very skeptical of politicians. I always have been. Um, and especially in the last, you know, eight or nine years, I've been skeptical of people. So I, when I look at Cary Booker, I kind of want to look at him from that skeptical standpoint because obviously... He's a guy that believes the state can get, can use force against people to get their way, right? He wants to enact laws and pass laws against companies, against individuals, um, tax people, and so forth to get his way. That's what the state does. So what is Cory Booker's views, though? What does he believe? What, is his, what, are, what are the things that he's going to bring that's going to differentiate him from the rest of the pack? And that's what I'm going to try to get into today. Because that's what we need to do. We need to describe who these candidates are, what differentiates them from the pack, what kind of policies they're going to attempt to enact if they became president. Is he anti-war? Is he for social security or you know furthering social security? Is he for a larger public safety net? Does he want to take over government health care? Those are things that we want to talk about. Those are the things we want to dig deep into and see because where does he stand on liberty, your liberty, your personal liberty? Where does he stand on those things? That's what I want to know. None of these candidates talk about liberty whatsoever on the Democratic side. All they talk about is handouts. Handouts for this, handouts for that. Make sure that you know retirees are taken care of. Now, that's fine. We want to take care of retirees in society. Is it the government's job to do that, though, or is it private charity? Is it individual families? Those are the things that we want to talk about. Um, because the only thing you hear on the Democratic side now is more and more handouts. We want to give free college education, free child care when kids are babies, um, you know, more their free health care, our government take over the health care system. Those are the things that we hear on the Democratic side. And there's only, I've only seen one politician, I think he was the Congressman Damasi, I think is his name. And he's trying to go that middle ground road of saying, well, maybe we just need to fix what we currently have, can't afford all these programs, things like that. Like, he's the only one that's saying that the, that the government can't afford programs. Everyone else is just, how many handouts can I give? They want to buy as many votes as they can. Where is Cory Booker on these issues, though? And that's what I'm going to delve into today. So first thing I want to talk about is Cory Booker on, the, on criminal justice reform. He is one of the people that really led the charge in the Senate for criminal justice reform. That's one of the things that I, I do like about him. He's, he wants to end uh, the criminalization of marijuana and things like that. Uh, he wants to help people that are in prison for marijuana charges or people that are past convicts for marijuana charges. He wants to help them to get rid of uh, or, you know, get back into society, I guess. And that to me, that's, that's a good thing because the prohibition that America has on marijuana and even though the, 
people that are selling marijuana, the people that are in possession of marijuana, obviously they're breaking the law in the law sense, but we all know, and from a libertarian standpoint, laws that are unjust should not be followed in the first place. So the possession of a plant and things of that nature, um, the smoking of a plant, whether you like, whether you think it's good or bad to smoke marijuana, to smoke some pot, is neither here nor there. It's whether the government should have it criminalized or not. And obviously, as a libertarian, I don't think so. And from a moral standpoint, the government shouldn't be locking people in cages in the in the prison for smoking marijuana. That's that's wrong. And Cory Booker is on the right side of that issue, and he's fighting for those people that in the past have been imprisoned for it. So that that's a that's one positive. Let's talk about the positive of these guys first, these candidates first, and then move on to the things the places where we disagree. So here's another one that we can agree on in some ways. I don't believe in the federal government from that federal standpoint uh, having public school or funding public schools I guess if you're going to have any type of public funding from a libertarian standpoint we want to get it away from the federal government that top-down approach and get it more to the local municipalities uh, local governments and obviously from the libertarian standpoint all schools should be public in the or excuse me private in the first place but if we're going to take the the approach of a of of an incremental step let's get the government the federal government completely out of public schools and then we'll then we'll tackle that beast as we get down to the local municipalities the state level then the local level and so forth but Cory Booker has been he says that he's a progressive on every era area except for public schooling and he is he's made a case and he's fought for more expanded choice within public education and even to the point where he is for the uh charter schools and introducing merit pay for teachers and things like that so charter schools and merit pay for teachers so pay teachers that are really good a little bit better merit pay pay teachers that are not doing good get rid of those i'm not sure if he's you know against the unionization of teachers and so forth it doesn't i I haven't found anything that says that he is but merit pay for teachers and then uh, expansion of charter schools and to me, that's a strong point. If there's going to be public funding of schools in the first place, at least have better schools, right? Charter schools have proven that they are better. In South Carolina, there's expanded choice within our school system where a child can choose which school they want to go to as long as it's not full. As long, or the, not the child, so the parents can choose which school they want to send their kid within a school district. So I don't think they can go to any school they want to within the state. But as long as they're in a, in a school district, you can choose which of the schools you want to go to as long as you're going to drive your kid there. So it gives a lot of the, it puts a lot of the burden on the parent to get their kid to that school. But there are, there are charities and so forth that do that bus kids to the better schools that are in you know schools that are in bad neighborhoods. If you can get your kid into a specific school, there's charities and programs to get your kid bused to those schools as well. Um, so that personal responsibility aspect has been within the South Carolina market. Um, and then there's also almost every school 
in almost every uh, school district within South Carolina has charter programs as well, uh, which is good. They're very open to it. And if your kid can get selected into those charter programs, they're going to get a very good education as well. Uh, so South Carolina is leading the way. I don't know if they're leading the way specifically across the country because I don't know every state's the way that every state's doing it. But from what I see, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of choice within the public school system in South Carolina. Um, and if you can get the federal government out of the school system, get rid of the Department of Education completely, get all of the funding back to the states, let the states keep that money, and then at least let them try new things. You have that, that whole idea that I guess conservatives talk about of you have 50 laboratories of experimentation. Uh, and then, you know, let, let the libertarians at that point fight the battles at the state level, but get federal government completely out of it. Cory Booker's not for that, but he does seem like he's open to expansion of charter schools and so forth. Now, do we get, a, at that point, is it a top-down approach to the charter schools where they're only going to get funding if they do what the federal government says? I don't know where he stands on that. I can't find any information on that from him specifically, but as long as he's willing to take a hands-off approach, I think I could support him on the whole idea of charter schools. I don't know that that's going to be a winning issue for him on the political stage for on a national campaign strategy. It worked for him as a mayor. It worked for him in Senate to get into the Senate. Um, but at least he'll differentiate himself slightly on that issue there. Finally, on foreign policy, he, Cory Booker is... I, I see some positives on where he stands on foreign policy. Now, the dude's only been in the Senate for a little while, not too long, so he probably hasn't gotten to vote too much on this, but he, he can make... He, he's made clear his his ideas on foreign policy. Booker supports scaling down U.S. involvement in Afghanistan and is against the intervention in Syria. After the U.S. strike on, in Syria on April 2017, he criticized military action without a clear plan or authorization from Congress. He supports a two-state solution in Israel and Palestine. On Iran, Booker has stated the country poses a direct threat to America in Israeli security and feels all options should be on the table for dealing with that conflict. So on Iran, I don't I I think that he's bad on Iran, but on the other issues, Syria, Afghanistan, all this all this junk that's going on in I, Iran or excuse me in Iraq, Syria in that area, he's for de-escalation of those particular involvements that America is in. So I can support him on that. I don't know that that's going to be a center point of his campaign. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the center point of his campaign, but at least he is leaning in the right direction on foreign policy. We all know, though, that Democrats shift quickly when it comes to their involvement and their belief in de-escalating de these wars overseas, because when Barack Obama was in office, nobody said a single thing about it, right? I mean... The guy was bombing more people than any of his predecessors combined, I think. And, you know, or then his, then his predecessor, George Bush, he bombed more people overseas than George Bush did. And nobody said a single word to the guy about it. So, um, Cory Booker, if he gets into, gets into the White House, will the neocons, you know, will the deep state neocons be able to influence him in a way, feed him the right information?
that'll keep us involved in these wars overseas indefinitely. I think that that might be the case. But I don't know where he stands on these issues in the sense that I don't know where he was at on these issues when Barack Obama was in, you know, in the White House. But right now he has voted in, in against some of these wars and these interventions in Syria and has spoken out in saying that any war should have authorization from Congress. So let's go ahead and go with that. Let's say that he is good on the foreign intervention issue. And let's go ahead and move on now to some of the places where libertarians and more conservative people might disagree, but let's go let's find these disagreements that we have with him uh, from a libertarian standpoint. So getting into some of the places of the disagreement, cap and trade, he is for tax or cap and trade taxation to combat climate change. I personally, and from a libertarian standpoint, don't believe in any type of taxation from the federal government, let alone cap and trade. I think that that is a way, I mean, I think it was originally set up, though, as a a way, a, a conservative viewpoint, right? As a way to tax or to, to set a cap on the amount of carbon that you can have, that a company can have. So everyone at this point, all businesses, I guess, will have a certain, they'll be capped at their specific usage now, and they're now allowed to produce more carbon. So then they're going to get a certain amount, like let's say a thousand, or let, let's say they're going to put a cap on the amount of carbon that you're going to be able to have for each business. And then that business can trade their carbon credits. So everyone's going to get credits for the amount of carbon they use. And then they're going to be able to trade their carbon credits with other businesses. So a business that has a lot of uses of carbon, if they need to go up in the amount of carbon uses that they have, then they're going to have to buy carbon credits from other places so that we don't have an amount, or so that the amount of carbon never goes up. Uh, that, that's the best way that I can explain it. And so from a conservative standpoint, you're going to start trading carbon credits. You're going to have a market for carbon and I just, honestly, I think it's a way for, to, to make people, you know, that are investing in carbon credits rich, to be honest with you. Like, that's the way that I look at carbon, the cap and trade. It, it's just another way for the government to get their hands into taxing carbon. And the way that they would tax it, I guess, is you're going to, they're going to, you're going to have to pay the government to trade these carbon credits that are, that are now on the market. And I think Al Gore has talked about investing in carbon credits and so forth. Like It's just a way for these guys to get rich and also a way for the government to produce more revenue without actually dealing with the actual problem, which is, you know, the amount of carbon that's going into the atmosphere. Whether you believe in climate change or not, more carbon in the atmosphere uh, from fossil fuels may or may not disturb our environment. And... The problem with carbon and the problem of pollution in general is the fact that there's no ownership of the air, right? So it's a, from a, the libertarian point of view, it's a common. So the and then you get 
into that problem with the commons, which they talked, I mean, lots of libertarians bring this up when they talk, is that Okay, so the tragedy of the commons is the economic problem that I'm talking about, and it's which every individual tries to reap the greatest benefit from a given source or a given resource. So as the demand for the resource overwhelms the supply, each individual who consumes an additional unit directly harms others who can no longer enjoy the benefits. And the, the, the analogy that they use on that is that if there was two farmers that were using a common property of like, let's say, five acres of land, and they're farming that, they're, they, they bring sheep onto the graze that land. One farmer is going to try to use as much of that property as they can, so they're going to put as many sheep on there as they can to get the maximum benefit for themselves. Whereas the other farmer at that point will be thinking the same thing. Well, let me put as many sheep out here as I can, and then that resource is going to be overused. So if you just divide that land and give, if, if you got rid of the common property, you divide that land into two separate sections, each of those farmers is going to utilize that land to, the, to, their, to maximize that resource without infringing upon the other person's property, and both of them are going to benefit rather than destroying that resource. So from the standpoint of our air, the entire world, the air is a common, Right? And when we're pumping up, when, when you're burning fossil fuels, when you're pumping CO2 and pollutions into the air, there's no reason that would stop you from doing that, right? There's no way that I can sue a company for pumping bad, you know, or bad gases, pollution into the air. So there should be ways for people to do that. There, sh there should be ways to penalize businesses and i think that that is where the idea of cap and trade comes in but should it be from a top-down government standpoint or not that's someplace where i think even libertarians might agree or disagree i'm not sure should it be a top-down where the government puts a cap on the amount and then forces people to trade and then taxes the trading of that particular resource uh, which is or not the resource but the ability for them to pump out carbon or should there be a private organization that um that allows for the cap and trade i'm not sure that's somewhere where i just have to defer to the idea that maybe government shouldn't be involved in this issue but if there is one place where governments could be involved it's in the idea of pollution um but it should be from a legal standpoint rather than from a use of force standpoint so give me the ability to sue these companies, and then they're going to be forced to make decisions based upon the cost that it's going to cost them down the road. So then you got to be able to figure out a true cost of, you know, how bad carbon really is on the environment, how it's affecting people, and so forth. Um, and that's for the scientists to determine, I guess. I have no idea. That's the one issue for me, though, where. I get confused on that issue because there is a lot of disinformation out there. If you look online, if you're trying to do research on climate change, there's going to be the climate deniers, going to be the climate, you know, the ten percent of people that are climate deniers. There's going to be the certain amount of people that are just buku against 
or for climate change and they think that the world's going to end tomorrow like there's everywhere in between right there's so much disinformation out there it's almost impossible to get the true information on what really is the true story on climate change so for me i always defer to hey you know what let's just keep the government out of it and figure out free market solutions to that problem I'm not the person that has all of the answers on the free market solutions to these problems. You might want to, you know, listen to um, you might want to go out and listen to Bob Murphy on that. I think he is actually a he does a lot of work on climate economics, I guess. And I'm not sure if he's a believer in climate change or not. I think he takes a standpoint of just looking at the economics of it when he talks, though. And I've heard him talk before and he said, I mean, one of the things that he always brings up is what's the true cost of it? Um, how much is it, you know, how much is it really going to be negative if, if the climate, the temperature of the earth goes up by a couple degrees over the next century? Is it really going to hurt people or not? That, I mean, I think he takes more of a standpoint from the economist's view is what's the true cost of it? Is it really going to, you know, be as bad as they say it's going to be? And you know, those are things that I take into account as well. Because let's be honest, the earth, if it did warm a couple degrees, it'll help food production in Russia because half their land is in, you know, is in frozen temperatures. So you're going to have better food production. You're going to have, you know, more land is in the very north of the world as well, which is constantly frozen, right? So is that going to be beneficial to those people or, that are living in those places or not? Um, Whereas the people that are living in the deserts, there's not a lot of people living in the deserts in the first place. You got a, people, a lot of people living around the equator. Well, they'll move more north as temperatures start to get more, hotter in those areas, but cooler, or excuse me, warming up in the, the Arctic in places where it's constantly cold, food production will be better. So, I mean, I think Bob Murphy's taken different standpoints on that. But listen to him. I mean, he's... He's a climate economist, I guess is what you'd say. Uh, and you'll find, if you just look him up online, you'll find a lot of the information that he does on, on this issue, I'm sure. Um, Tom Woods has interviewed him a couple of times on his show about that as well. So, but Cory Booker, let's focus back in on him. If you look at Cory Booker's issues, um, he's for cap and trade. And I think that in my mind, I'm not. I'm not one that wants the government to get involved in that particular issue, especially our federal federal government. Uh, let's be honest: if America does nothing or completely ends the use of fossil fuels in the next year, let's say, let's say it just happened tomorrow, it's not going to affect the climate over the next um, hundred years. Whatever we do in America. You know, we still have China out there, we still have India out there. They're still going to do what they're doing. So it needs, it would have to be an international movement to end climate change. And I think that what it has to do is it has to come from the bottom up, right? It has to be people's minds changing on the use of fossil fuels. Um, and that's happening over time as well. So if you believe in climate change, well, it, you know, it has to come from an international, the people of the world have to decide, hey, you know what? I think we're going to stop using these uh, fossil fuels and start using, you know, solar and wind and 
other types of energy forms. Um, but you know, those, those things have to become cheap and efficient over the next couple, you know, over the next couple of decades as well for that to really, really change. Um, let's get into a few other things. He's a progressive, so I think he's more for, um, you know, the socialization of healthcare, which he is. He's, he hasn't really come out with a platform on these things as well, but obviously he's going to be for social justice and, uh, you know, racial and social justice. So I think that gets down to given, you know, minorities rights that maybe non-minorities have. I don't know. Or sorry, not minorities rights that non-minorities already have, but my, I guess giving them specific protections in the world. Uh, so I, I, that's what social justice typically is, right? Is the idea that um, different different groups of people don't have the same justice that the, the majority of people have. And that's, I've heard like the, what the SJWs, the social justice warriors, they seem to be a little bit crazy, but I don't think that Cory Booker would consider himself a social justice warrior. That's more of a, those, idiot people on Twitter that, you know, fight with you on Twitter all the time and stuff, consider themselves the social justice warriors. But he was a supporter, of, or joined Bernie Sanders and 14 other co-sponsors of a, submitting a single-payer health care plan to Congress called the Medicare for All bill. So you guys know where I stand on that. I think that that is wrong. I think that that is a one step closer to a government takeover of the entire health care system, and it's not going to be good for Americans. And on, you know, Social Security is not for help or not for fixing it. He is for expanding it. Um, and, you know, from a libertarian perspective, obviously, we don't think that the government should be handing out checks to anybody, whether they're whether you're rich, poor or anywhere in between. Um, there should be no. Like there should be no safety net for big banks and there should be no safety net from the national standpoint from the federal standpoint for any of these uh for any group at all whether you're a big corporation or an extremely poor person uh it's better fixed within the the uh, private sector charities and so forth um so that's what that's the the basics of cory booker i went to a website of his and on his website it's the standard 2020 website for pretty much all these candidates right now. Maybe they're all using the same super PAC to fund their website or whatever. I don't know. Um, but his just says, Cory Booker, or Cory 2020. And you have the chance, you could put it in Espanol. And it says, join the team. This campaign is only as strong as the people who show up to build it. And then it says... You put in your email, your zip code, and your cell phone number. And then you, then it says, are you in? You have to put your email and your zip code in, but you don't have to put your cell phone number in. And then um, it says, by providing your cell phone number, you consent to receive periodic campaign updates from Corey 2020. And that's it. Oh, there's a place for jobs. So I guess you could sign up to work on the campaign. Most likely it's going to be non-paid, so they're looking for local people to help run the campaign. But that's it. Um, I think they're looking... Oh, donations. You could donate as well. 
So you can donate, and it takes you to a secure actblue.com. I don't know what actblue is. Uh, maybe it's a democratic. Yeah, it's a way. That's a basically a website specifically for blue. So that must be for Democrats to set up campaign tr- contributions. And it says paid for by Act Blue and not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. That's what Act Blue is. Contribution or gifts to Act Blue are not deductible. So it must be kind of like a GoFundMe type thing for Democrats is what that is. And you have the $10, $25, $50, $500, $250, or whatever you want to put in. So that's Cory Booker's website. He doesn't... I It drives me crazy that these candidates don't give their... You know, they don't really try to tell you what they believe in. So it says, throughout Corey's life, he's witnessed the power of what happens when people come together to unite behind a common purpose. This campaign will be powered by passion, passionate, loving, and dedicated individuals who believe in building a more fair and just nation for everyone. Fair and just, huh? And if you're interested in joining the team, use this form to submit your resume. Okay, Okay, so that's what it says if you want to get a job with the guy. And then if you just go back to his website, just on the... I mean, it doesn't say anything about... Oh, there it is, right here. So let's see. The lines that divide us are nowhere near as strong as the ties that bind us. When we join together and we work together, we will rise together. And then he lets you share your story. Oh, and he also has a, uh, a little video that you can watch about the campaign it looks like and he says uh, let me go ahead I'm going to go ahead and play it right now in America we have a common pain but what we're lacking is a sense of common purpose what's up oh he's trying to be the cool guy he's like what's up I grew up knowing that the only way we can make change is when people come together When I was a baby, my parents tried to move us into a neighborhood with great public schools, but realtors wouldn't sell us a home because of the color of our skin. A group of white lawyers who had watched the courage of civil rights activists were inspired to help black families in their own community, including mine. And they changed the course of my entire life. Because in America, courage is contagious. My dad told me, boy, never forget where you came from or how many people had to sacrifice to get you where you are. So over 20 years ago, I moved into the central ward of Newark to fight slumlords and help families stay in their homes. I still live there today, and I'm the only senator who goes home to a low-income inner-city community, the first community that took a chance on me. We are better when we help each other. The history of our nation is defined by collective action, by interwoven destinies of slaves and abolitionists, of those born here and those who chose America as home, those who took up arms to defend our country, and those who linked arms to challenge and change it. I believe that we can build a country where no one is forgotten, no one is left behind, where parents can put food on the table, where there are good-paying jobs with good benefits, Okay, so he's um, trying to be the ever every man in the sense of, I mean, that's how he's positioning himself, right? He's going to be the guy that comes from the inner city. Uh, he moved to the inner city. He still goes back to the inner city. He's just like that guy, and he's going to bring the change. He's going to bring people together. He's going to 
help the lower class and so forth. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much the typical thing. But this, I mean, if you watch the video, if you're looking at it from a libertarian standpoint, obviously you're thinking very critically of it. But if you're looking at it just like as an every, everyday normal person, you might be inspired by this guy. Who knows? Um, I, I've been looking, you know, at some of his tweets and stuff, and he gets, you know, retweets like crazy. He gets people commenting like crazy. So he's one of those people that's more popular on Twitter. So he's going to have a little bit more of a grassroots movement as well. But, yeah, he's like that Obama-inspiring kind of guy, you know? So that's Cory Booker for you. I Hopefully I was able to bring you a little bit of that you didn't know about Cory Booker already. As a libertarian, I'm looking at him from a critical standpoint in the sense that, you know, he's looking to be a top-down kind of status kind of guy. And to me, that's always a little bit scary, especially when you want to move government more into everyone's lives from the medical standpoint, because I like to be able to, you know, stay healthy and go to the doctor when I need to and not being on waiting list and so forth. And I think that that's where we're going. You know, eventually the money's going to run out and we already, I mean, this country's already 20, 22 trillion dollars in debt. Uh, let's stop adding more burden to the next generation because all that's going to do is make them poorer. And when you get a status like Cory Booker or any of these Democrats, really, and that, it's crap, any of these Republicans, really, um, anybody that's you know running for for president that's trying to promise more and more stuff when this nation is broke, that to me that's wrong. And hopefully, uh, you know. As we go forward in the 2020 election, I can bring you some more libertarian perspective on these views and on these candidates. Uh, but that's Cory Booker for you. Go ahead, if you get a chance, go ahead and like or go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on whichever podcatcher you are listening through. And go ahead and rate me, review me, and I'd love to hear from you as well. You can find me at Eye on the Empire which is my Twitter handle. If you want to go ahead and follow me there as well, I post a lot of good information about the wars, about what's going on in this nation, and I'm constantly scouring the, the interweb looking for you know, more news articles about what's going on in this country, about what's going on with these candidates, but also, since it is I on the empire, I'm just focusing in on this country and its foreign policy, domestic policy, and what it's doing in your life and more the ways that it's trying to infringe upon your life as well. So that's at Eye on the Empire. That's me. And like I said, go ahead right now and hit that subscribe button and follow me on Twitter. Hopefully I'll have a Facebook page up soon as well. And I am looking into getting a web page as well. So that's going to be me. This is Ray Eaton, your host, helping you have clear vision for the 2020 election with Eye on 2020.